Okay, uh, I think I know most of you, but for those that you don't know me, I'm uh, I'm Jethro Brewer, and I'm I'm a layman here. I I, I uh, just hang out here and I do mostly whatever Cheryl tells me to do. <laughs> it's my wife. She's the secretary here, and, and she's just she's such a blessing here, and she's back there right now get, helping get that dinner ready for us. So thank you, Cheryl. Uh, we're just so excited to gather in the church that, in the house of the Lord today, this morning, uh, and we're, we're, just, we're excited that you decided to join us. And I just want to say thanks for joining us online. Kimmy, Kimmy Glenn, I want to say hi to you. I miss you. I hope you're watching. And for uh, Benita and Grandma Birdie, I think you're watching, so hi. Okay, so Woody Allen said that 80% of success is just showing up. So we're uh, 80% on our way, aren't we? <laughs> we're here. That's good. So anyway, if you have your outlines, and anybody that didn't get an outline, you can uh, raise your hands and the ushers will bring you one. Um, but I have on the first lines, first two lines, it says the most important thing about me is, and there's a couple of lines there. What I'd like to do is I'm going to throw out some suggestions. I'm going to just say the most important thing about me, and I'm going to throw out some suggestions to you, and, and uh, if you would just, uh, just if one strikes a chord with you, would you just fill it out? Just write it in there. Okay, so here's some suggestions. <laughs> Okay, I'm a fantastic homemaker. I provide for my family. Is that the most important thing about you? The most important thing about me is I'm a leader. When I show up, things get done. My work ethic is through the roof. You know, I, the most important thing about me is I'm, I'm really smart. I'm a loving, caring wife. I'm a good parent. I know how to make lots of money. <laughs> I care for the poor, the lonely, the disenfranchised. I have a great personality. When I walk in the room, it lights up. <laughs> I'm generous. I have godly character. And the last one, I'm humble. Okay, chances are pretty good that I haven't struck that chord that, was, that you would say best describes how you value yourself. But if, if, if there's something that comes to your mind, write it down. I'd like to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to look at it. So, um, but just write it down so you can kind of remember it. Okay, got it? Okay, so A.W. Tozer said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Would you agree that our preconceived notions about God don't change who he is? But we become like our vision of God. And, we, and our vision of church is the way that we do church. So what I'd like to do this morning, I'd like to take, to take us into the book of Ezra, in the, book of, in the Bible, if you you'd like to follow along, go to the book of Ezra in the Bible. It's the book, uh, it's, it's uh, after Nehemiah. No, it's after Chron Second Chronicles and before Nehemiah. Okay. 
Ezra 7, verse 9. I'm going to do a quick flyover here of the verse of the Bible. Of this book, I'm sorry. And uh, Ezra 7, verse 9, we read. Ezra began the journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month since the gracious hand of his God was on him. Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, I want you to notice that in your outlines, you follow along. That number one, he decided to study it. Number two, to obey it. And number three, to teach it. We'll talk about it more later. But according to this verse, verse 9, Ezra would not have had the heart to study the law, to study the scriptures, to obey them and teach them if God hadn't given him the heart to do that. So what I'd like to do is just take a look at the book of Ezra from 30,000 feet. So fasten your seatbelts and prepare for liftoff. Here we go. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Let's start right there. In the first year of, of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem in Judah. So King Cyrus the Great of Persia conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. Cyrus is fulfilling a prophecy, and if you look back in here in the book of Isaiah, which uh, follows, I think, Song of Solomon, and it's the first book of the prophecies, Isaiah 44, find Isaiah 44, verse 28. It says, the Lord says, my shepherd, he will fulfill all my pleasure, and says to Jerusalem, she will be rebuilt, and of the people, its foundation will be laid. So notice, God calls Cyrus by his name. Even though Cyrus doesn't know his name. But he knows, he knows, God knows Cyrus's name. He knows your name. He knows your name, Vicki. He knows your name, Mary. And he knows your name, Savannah. He knows our name. He knew us before we were even saved. He knew us before we were even born. It always amazes me, though, how God uses people and forces outside of his kingdom to, to bring about his purposes. Isaiah prophesied about this day 170 years before Cyrus was even born. But this Persian king, Cyrus, issues a decree, and he writes it down. So let's fly over chapter 2, and uh, we're going to go to get chapter 3 here. And there's one, one word in verse 1 of chapter 3 that just strikes me, and that one word is one. 
And he says, the people gathered as one. The church, Christ's bride, is, isn't independent of Jesus. And we're not independent of each other. Jesus prayed, may they all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I'm in you. The church, Christ's bride, is not independent of Jesus, and we're not independent of each other. Skip down to to, uh, verse 11. We read verse 11. They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he's good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, just like we heard this morning, because because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. I'm not a very good singer, but I think I can shout a little bit. <laughs> I don't have a really good voice, but I heard some shouting, and that's good. We need to shout. We need to sing, and, and uh, the foundation of the Lord's house is being laid. I guarantee it. Let's look at the next two verses, verses, verses 12 and 13 here in chapter 3. And it says, But many of the older priests, Levites and family heads, who had seen the first temple, wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple. But many others shouted joyfully. The people could not distinguish between the sound of joyful shouting and that of the, of the weeping because the people were shouting so loudly and the sound was heard far away. Okay, in Mark uh, 2.22, Jesus says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. This isn't going to make sense to you until I tie it together. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine will be lost as well as the skins. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. My generation is so steeped in tradition and in the Jesus movement and our past that, we, that we're just missing out on fresh wine but because we're trying to pour it into old wineskins. And what is the world hearing from the church? Is it the sound of weeping or is it the sound of joy or is it just noise? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the world needs to see Jesus through fresh light, one one that addresses the way that they view life. I think that our problem is that we are are, uh, using pre-Christian methods to to, to reach a post-Christian culture. What do I mean by that? we're, we're, We're reaching... We're using pre-Christian methods to reach a post-Christian Ephrata. We're trying to offer forgiveness and good moral life to people who already have Christian morals and values, but they don't have Jesus. We all want forgiveness without repentance. We all want a kingdom without a king. We need to be seen by the world in the light of Christ's character. There's no place on this earth that I'd rather live than the United States of America. But my 
kingdom of my home is the kingdom of God. This isn't my this isn't my home. So we aren't we aren't pro or anti, we aren't red or blue, but we're filled with the love of Christ for each other and for those that Christ came to save. And the world needs to see that. We are Christ's bride. We're his holy, we're his body, we're the we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we have to be sure that we're serving a resurrected Jesus. It's Easter coming up pretty quick. And, and I love that song from, I love that, that line from the song Rattle that, that uh, Elevation Worship does. And it says, Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. I love that song, or that line. The same Jesus that we read about in the Gospels is alive and well today. And he's embodied in his bride. His church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's casting out demons. And, and, he's, and he's doing it all through us. I hope that at a, at a, as a Pentecostal church that we get that. But we do have an enemy. So who is he? He's the devil, right? Yes. But the Bible suggests three enemies, the world, the devil, and the flesh. So as we land on chapter 4 here in verse 1, we see our first enemy, the world, showing up. I read chapter 4, verse 1. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that, he returned, that the returned exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the family heads and said to them, let us build with you, for we also worship your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time King Esar Hedon of Assyria brought us here. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, right? He came, in to, came to the world to save the world, but he, but he came to save the world's people. He didn't come to, come to save the world's system or the world's programs. There's a huge difference. Okay, so John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, defines the world system as, is that up there? <laughs> defines the world as a system of ideas, values, moral practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. He goes on. The world is what happens when Adam and Eve's sin goes viral and spreads through a society. The result, the distorted becomes normative. Sin is recast as any number of things. Freedom, human rights, reproductive justice, the way things are, nature, science, boys will be boys. Anything but sin. Listen to the lyrics of the song, The Heart Wants What It Wants, sung by Selena Gomez. She says, save your advice because I won't hear. You might be right, but I don't care. There's a million reasons why I should give you up, but the heart wants what it wants. But the heart wants what it wants. 
The heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. That's the mantra of the world's culture. The heart wants what it wants. We must define the church culture by the Jesus standard. We must not allow the culture to define the church. The Apostle Paul or Apostle John in the book of Revelation, chapter uh, 17, he sees Babylon as a notorious whore. She's filled with sin and, and uh, sexual sin and self-indulgence. But then God calls the nations out of Babylon in chapter 18. The Canaanite culture in Ezra's day was under the influence of Babylon, just like our culture is under the under that same influence, the influence of the world. We must come out of the world and not allow the world to influence the church. Okay, so while we're in this port, chapter 4, we notice the driving, horse, driving force behind the, the world. It's the devil. Ezra 4, verse 4. It says, Then the people who were already in the land discouraged the people of Judah, and they made them afraid to build. They also, bribed, they also bribed officials to act against them, to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. I'm not, I'm not pronouncing that word, I, I, that, that name right. Darius, it's, it's really weird to pronounce in Hebrew. <laughs> it's not like you think. I tried to pronounce it and I couldn't get it, so I'm calling him Darius. <laughs> okay, so, but... but uh, Discouragement says he discouraged the people. He said he made them afraid to build, and he frustrated their plans. Discouragement is a tool of the devil. Discouragement pioneers fear and ultimately leads to frustration. We give up on our God dreams. I have a dream that this community, that Soap Lake, that all of these communities around us and that this county and this world would one day be saturated with the holy promise of Jesus' salvation. But I'm not ignorant of the devil's schemes. We must put on the full armor of God and we must, above all, we have to stand on his word. And we live in an age today where there's absolutely no excuse to be biblically illiterate. The main thing is we just got to open the Bible up. There are people sitting next to you who will be glad to explain it to you if you want to. James 1.5 tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. We need to gather together around God's word. One of the devil's favorite tactics is isolation. He got Eve alone in the garden, and the rest is history. It's our history. So back to our flight over this book. This dude named Tatanai comes along, and he, and he asks, Who gave you the order to rebuild the temple? It's that echo from the garden, right? Did God really say and I love what Jerry Cook says, used to say, Joe's not here right now. 
Joe loves to quote Jerry Cook on this one. Did God, what Jerry, what Jerry Cook used to say, when doubt comes along, just doubt the doubt. But it's not enough to just doubt the doubt. Whenever a demon comes out of a person and it comes back, it brings seven more, even more powerful, and that person's uh, mind is actually worse than it was to start with. Check it out, Matthew uh, 12. We need to say, devil, that's a lie. And then we need to fill our minds with the truth of God's word. Anyway, when Tat and I come, sees that he can't frustrate the work of the completion of the temple, he writes a letter to King Darius, who's taken over in Babylon by now. And he writes, To King Darius, all greetings. Do you know what's going on here in Jerusalem? These Jews are rebuilding the temple that the Babylonians destroyed years ago. And then the Jews, they write their own letter. They, wrote, they write, Your predecessor Cyrus made a decree commanding that this temple to be rebuilt. We're sure that if you search the archives of Babylon, you'll find it there somewhere. So Darius orders a search. They search the archives high, and they search low. They search here, and they search everywhere. And finally, they find that the, they, somebody goes to, Med, to media, this place that the, the, the dignitaries went in the day, like for R&R, like Camp David or something. They find this, the decree there. I don't know why it's there, but that's where they found it. <laughs> And anyway, so, so then when King Darius finds it, he issues his own decree commanding that the temple be finished without opposition. So we may have to search the archives of the Bible to find that one scripture that, that God wants us to use to speak to the enemy's lies. We need to stand on the decree of the Holy Scriptures. So we just flew over a couple of chapters, and we're going to land again in chapter 7. And, and uh, the temple is completed, and, and Ezra arrives on the scene. And I'm going to re- re- I want to read 7.10 again. It says, Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and, or- and ordinances in Israel. Ezra didn't just decide to read the Bible, he determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord. So why should the church study the law? Hebrews 7.19 says, says, For the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is entered which we draw near to God. Galatians 3.24 says, The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. It's not the law versus grace. It's the law leads us to God's grace. But Ezra determined in his heart to obey the law. Our witness to the body of believers and to the secular worlds is lost if our actions don't line up with our words. The Bible tells us, Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the Gentiles. Romans 1.5. So Ezra was determined to, de- to teach the laws, statutes, and ordinances. So what are the statutes and ordinances? What does that even mean? Well, my best work and definition of statutes is God's best plan for our lives. Did you know that God has a plan for our lives? Did you know that God's plan is perfect, 
So Merriam-Webster defines ordinance as an authoritative decree or direction. It's an order or mandate. So how many of you know that according to city ordinance, chapter 9, section 12.110, you can't handle, store, or transport nitroglycerin within the city limits of Ephrata? <laughs> I was thinking about doing it, so I looked it up. <laughs> no, I'm just A paraphrased Strong's definition of ordinance would include absolute justice and penalty for a crime committed, including the participant's rights and privileges. We have a right to experience justice, and we have a privilege to experience mercy. The book of Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's justice. But Paul goes on to say in the book of Romans, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's mercy. How many of us would, would agree that God is a God of order? And that's the purpose of ordinances, God's law. Jesus wants us to look out for each other. Bringing this all together, I'd say that God has in mind the most productive path for us is body of Christ. Let me say that again. God has in mind the most productive path for us as believers. Does that make sense? We need to understand that he's God and we're not. So as we fly over chapter 8, we notice enemy number 3, the flesh. Number 3, flesh, is waiting for us in chapter 9. So let's get prepared. We're going to stop here just for just a minute in 831. Ezra 831. We read, we set out from the Javi River. No, I'm going to, I'm going to skip down. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we were, we were strengthened by our God, and he kept us from the grasp of the enemy and from ambush along the way. We all know that Jesus is the way, right? The book of, book of Acts calls the church the way. The way or the path that Jesus has for us is to go and make disciples. But as any addict will tell you, the enemy, our flesh, doesn't give up easily. As he arrives in Jerusalem, Ezra is appalled by what, by what he discovers, unfaithfulness, and he's devastated. And notice Ezra's confession at the end of chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 15. says, Lord, Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we survive as a remnant to the here today. Here we are before you with our guilt. Though no one can stand in your presence because of this. Ezra's confession is deeply personal and it's deeply relational. We are a sinful remnant that survives before a righteous, holy God because of and only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But a little leaven leavens a whole loaf. Our sin affects not only us, but it affects a whole body of believers. I love, you know, 
In spite of that, I, I just love what Shechaniah tells Ezra here in chapter 10. He goes on, I'm not going to read it exactly, but here it is. There is still hope for Israel in spite of this. He says, let it be done according to the law. Get up, for this matter is your responsibility, and we support you. Be strong and take action. What is it that God is asking us to take responsibility for? Be strong and take action. We support you. But what action, you ask? Well, I think Ezra gives us five actions that we can take concerning sin. The first thing that Ezra does is that he confesses. So we need to, number one, confess. James 5.16 instructs us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed. But it's not chit-chat. It's not something that we do when we just take communion and we say it under our breath before we take communion. It's not sitting behind a curtain and saying, Father, forgive me. No, (laughs) it's... My name is Jethro, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm trying really hard. But last week, I got drunk. I'm not an alcoholic, but I do have an addiction. The other part of Ezra's confession that impresses me is that he, that he includes himself He says, we have sinned. We're all part of the same body. James says, confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. And then, number two, Ezra fasts. Number two. Oh, that we would grasp the importance of fasting. Can I recommend this book to you? Starving. It's called Starving. And it's written by this, uh, by Jess Strickland. And it's it's a 21-day fast. We went through it together as a church not long ago. If you missed it. Get this book. You can get it on Amazon. It's a good book. <laughs> and then he calls out the sin. He doesn't sweep it under the carpet. He calls the people to a place of repentance. So number three would be repent. <sighs> I've had to recently confess the sin, not only to God, but to my wife. doing this to my pastor and then I had to do something I had to turn my compass 180 degrees I had to repent we got to do whatever it takes listen guilt isn't necessarily a bad thing we're all guilty in fact guilt that leads to repentance is not only Therapeutic, it's essential to forgiveness and righteousness. But guilt that leads to shame is debilitating, and it ultimately leads us to separation from Jesus Christ and death. We are all guilty, but we are not ashamed. And then Ezra instructs the people to separate yourselves from the surrounding peoples and your foreign wives. We need to separate ourselves from TV, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I don't know what the newer stuff is. But we need to separate our stuff from those things. We need to separate it. We may need to separate ourselves from, from old friends and old habits. Church, we need to be in the world but not of the world. 
As God calls us out of Babylon, we need to confess our sinful lust for the things of the world. We need to fast. We need to repent of our sin. And then we need to separate ourselves from the heart what's not wants what it wants mentality. And then we need to cling to the cross. So the book of Ezra ends here, but Ezra's story doesn't end here. Let's pick it up again in Nehemiah chapter, or the next book, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Nehemiah 8, one reads, All the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given him, had given Israel. So Ezra does, he brings the book of the law, and he stands on this wooden platform, and he opens the book in full view of all the people, and then all the people raise their hands, and then they kneel down, and they say, Amen, Amen. Okay, I got to tell you a story. Oh, when Cheryl and I were, we, when we were in, we, our family was in Nebraska in the Sandhills, we went to a small uh, mainline uh, conservative church, and we just kind of, there wasn't anything Pentecostal in the area, and that's what we were raised in, or what we were saved in, not raised, but we were saved in the Pentecostal church, and and so we, we, we felt like the need that we had to kind of confess to the pastor that we we believed in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and we spoke in tongues and all that stuff. Anyway, so Cheryl, she, she, she just turns to the pastor, and she says, you know, sometimes, pastor, when you get to preaching, I just want to say, amen. Pastor turns to his wife, and he says, how about that, Gladdy? I got an amen. <laughs> I share that story because, and please hear my heart. I believe that every preacher wants to hear an amen. Come on, pastor, preach it. You know, they want to hear that. But I pray that our, our amen would translate into our next step. I would like for us to turn our, turn our handouts over and write down our next step. I'm gonna, do we need to spend more time with Jesus and his word? Is there something that we need to confess? Do we need to fast? Do we need to repent? Is there some habit that we need to separate ourselves from? I don't know your next step. Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you to go into all the world, you know, and, and to be a missionary. I don't know. Whatever it is, write it down. We don't want you to miss it. The matter is your responsibility. Be strong and take action because we support you. But sometimes after the word is, is translated, or, or, you know, in this case, or it touches our heart, conviction sets in, and instead of being encouraged, our hearts are broken. It's really not a bad place to be. So these people are weeping when they discover how far they've missed the heart of God. But Ezra says, no, no, don't mourn, don't weep, don't grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen, our strength is not in the law. It's not in doing the right thing. Our strength is in Jesus. Jesus is dancing over us right now. I, I know that I'd like to have Sarah come up and dance for us because I can't. As we gather around his word, and he sets our hearts and he sets our feet dancing. Look at Nehemiah 8.12. 8.12 says, Then all the people began to eat and drink and send portions and have a great celebration. 
because they had understood the words that they were that were explained to them. <laughs> we need to number five. We need to celebrate because Jesus has called us out of Babylon to be a peculiar people. Our view of the church is only as valuable as it lines up with God's view. I'm going to ask Mary if she'd come and play. We may not all be teachers, but we should all be learners. And we, and we learn by spending time alone in God's word, right? I don't want to minimize that. But we need to hang out together, and we need to practice our rhythms together. We need to, to, to confess our sins to, to one another. We need to fast together. We need to repent together. We need to separate ourselves from the world together. We need to look to the, the devil in the eye and say, no more. And then we need to celebrate together. No, just one more thing. Acts 1.8 says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's your last answer. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we need to lean into it. All we got to do is ask. Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us now. Listen, the world has a problem, and Jesus revealed a full view of the world through his body, through his church, is the answer. I've asked some people to be available for prayer as we dismiss for lunch. They're going to be back here in the back. And, and, and if you need prayer for anything, I don't care what it is, if, you're sal if, you, if it's salvation, healing, addiction, if you've not re yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, would you just go back? We don't want you to leave here without it. If you don't know what salvation is, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior, please take time. These guys are willing to pray with you. I'll pray with you. Um, if you need to talk, I'll be hanging up here for a little bit, too. Most of us are probably getting hangry by now. So it's, it's time. So uh, let's land this plane. Nehemiah 910 says, you made a name for yourself that endures to this day. And that is our heart's desire. That God's fame would spread throughout Ephrata, throughout Soap Lake, Quincy, throughout Grant County, throughout the United States, throughout the world. We want God's fame to spread. Would you please pray and ask, God, where do I fit into this kingdom thing that you're doing right here, right now? Father God, We're so thankful that out of all of your creation, all you could have chosen out of all of your creation, you chose us to display your glory to the heavenly host, to, to, to every, every creature that ever lived. You chose us to display your glory. We thank you for your patience for with us, and, we, and we, uh, we're sorry that we've sinned against you. Would you forgive us? And God, God, would you would you uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit?
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you, uh, as we gather around your food, would you, would you just bless the food to our bodies? And would you bless the hands of those ladies that have so blessed us with the food? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Uh, amen. <laughs>